Did you know video games can help your child learn social skills? Join us as we chat about how gamifying social interactions can help your child better engage with their peers while also providing them with safe testing grounds to better hone their skills. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. All right, Leah, let's talk video games. Yes, one of my favorite subjects because I am a gaming nerd, or at least I was before I had kids, right? (laughs) Me too. I mean, that's how we basically kind of met, more or less. Yeah, actually, there's a lot of gaming involved (laughs) there. Actually, that's quite relevant. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose so. We're talking about video games or gaming in general. Social gamification is kind of the term I came up with. I'm not sure if that's a real term. It might be. But for the purposes of this podcast episode, when I say social gamification, I kind of mean using games as a form of practicing social skills or at least a way of gamifying socialization so that it's a fun way to engage your child in these social interactions. But it's also a safe space for your kid to be able to practice social skills and fail safely, basically. So they could keep improving. Right. Because I feel like with games, I mean, there's really no like life consequences, like depending on what the game is, your character might get hurt or they might like die or something. If you like step out into traffic and you're playing like Frogger or something like that. (laughs) But like, as far as like you personally, like you don't really suffer any like serious, like consequence of like making a mistake while you're playing a video game. So I guess that's one of the nice aspects where it's in a way you can almost like put your mind, your reality a little bit kind of on back burner a little bit and just play the game. But I mean, it's also could be used in some areas where it is actually beneficial and helps grow your social awareness as well. Yeah, I personally growing up always gravitated towards video games. I think that it was just because I kind of liked immersing myself in another world. Growing up with disabilities that I didn't really know I had, I had a hard time making friends. And so being able to engage and still have fun and still have an adventure, still quote unquote, go out without going out. My version of that was video games. But I didn't realize that as I was getting older, I was really actually using video games as an assist learning how to socially interact with my peers. It depends who you're playing with and what types of games you're playing, because you can learn a lot of things of what not to do in video games. But there's a lot of things that you can actually learn and practice without consequences that actually are applicable to real life. Yeah, I think uh, we played different games. So I was more of like a Call of Duty, always a Star Wars fan, fantasy or like war games. So I mean, not super applicable for like everyday life. You're only in the trenches so often. But I agree as far as like conversations and such, playing with friends and whatnot. So I mean, you kind of build like a bond with friends or people that you're playing online with. So as far as like just like the communication aspect. But the nice thing about that is you have a goal or like a mission that you're both like working towards. So even though you might not be the best like communicator, for example, because it's focused on whatever this activity is, both parties are kind of in the same world. So it's like me as like an individual might not be able to communicate great at work with my coworker, but in this new reality world that we're playing in battle, it can be very simplistic communication, but we still have the same goal. So it helps with your communication among different people that you're playing with. 
Right. So why is gamification of socialization, uh, that's a lot, (laughs) (laughs) something that could be potentially beneficial for your child? I'm going to advocate for it for a few different reasons. One of those reasons is basically what Matt mentioned, and that is learning to be a team player. Oftentimes, autistic individuals struggle with, it's not quite empathy, but being able to relate with peers, understand each other's needs, communicate effectively, things like that. In video games where you have to cooperate with your peers to accomplish a goal, communication is really important. And the cool thing about video games is you can communicate with the person that you're playing with either through chat or through like an audio chat with headsets. You're not usually typically seeing the person face to face, maybe on PC games, but most of the time people are doing mostly audio or chat. And that takes away some of that pressure that autistic kids and adults can feel when socially interacting because you don't have to worry about how you're coming off with your body language or reading body language or anything like that. So that already strips away one layer. And probably another thing, I mean, I just thought of while you're mentioning this was you don't have to worry about eye contact either. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of irrelevant. No one is worried about like you not looking at them in the eye. It's like, well, obviously you're playing the video game. That's not even the main focus. So you're exactly right. You don't have to really worry about your facial expressions. If you're saying something with the wrong uh, intonation, essentially it doesn't really matter because that's not the focus. As we're in like life, if you raise your voice, but you're not asking a question, the tone of your voice towards a statement, not a question, it might kind of come off as like, oh, that's kind of an interesting like phrase. Like, I'm not sure if it's a question or a statement. But when you're playing a video game, like people aren't really thinking in that context. It's more just about the game. So it kind of frees you up a little bit for you're allowed to like essentially make mistakes in your in communication. And the chances that someone is going to like catch that or even pay attention to it is pretty low, in my opinion. Right. But you'll also have to essentially practice it because that communication piece is important. If you're all playing modern warfare and you have to be tactful in how you approach the enemy and you all have to be doing something in coordination, that communication piece is important to the success of your mission. So that is like a very easy and safe way to practice those sorts of skills without having to deal with any sort of real world consequence. The other thing that works about it is when it comes to social gamification, oftentimes in video games, you are able to get a more holistic context of the social situation. I think about this, for example, when I'm watching a movie, I have a lot easier of a time understanding what's being said, the subtle undertones of a conversation in a movie than I would in real life when I'm involved in the conversation. And that, I think, is just because I don't get to see the holistic picture. It just makes it harder for me. I'm not really sure why. But if I'm watching a movie or on the screen, I can do it. And so a video game gives you that in-between where you're still interacting with a real person via whatever their avatar or cartoon character is in the game, but you still get that bird's eye view to the interaction. You still get to see their character. You see your character. You see how your character is interacting with their character. So it still feels like you're removed from it, but you're not. And I think that's why you get that little extra layer of protection there too. So does that kind of act like a buffer essentially? So like when you're in the conversation, you might be kind of in your mind thinking like, should I lean my head this way? Should I ask this question where you're you're kind of thinking like the next step, like, okay, how should I respond to what they're going to say? Versus when you're in the video game, it kind of removes you a layer, kind of adds a buffer where none of that is important because chances are they can't see any of that anyway. It's basically just you 
playing with the avatar and how it relates there. So I guess adds like a buffer, essentially. Is that how I'm understanding it? Yeah. So when you're playing a video game, you really only need to worry about what you're saying. Your actions as well, but those are very limited in the game to whatever is programmed in the game. And everyone knows that those things are programmed in the game, so they will never see it as inappropriate because they know it's part of the game. Even Mm. if you do an inappropriate gesture in the game, it's seen as funny, right? In real life, you can't do that. It's not seen as funny. But in a game, it is. And so there's really no wrong you could do with that part of the game. And so all you really have to focus on is your dialogue. You just have to focus on the verbal communication piece or the written communication piece. So that makes it a lot easier because you have fewer things to keep track of. I like how you say there's no wrong, but when you're playing Call of Duty online or something, and if you make a mistake, everyone's yelling at you. <laughs> so, You'll but I mean, respawn. That's, well, right, but like if you if you do something that like blows someone else up, you can be pretty. Well, they'll get upset. But, well, you know, yeah, exactly. But, get I mean, over it, it. It's, I think of it more so funny as like, oh, whoops, like my bad. <laughs> See, but, the difference I, is you've always played as a guy. I've always played as a girl, and guys are way more forgiving of female players. I get right. away with it. <laughs> yeah. That's that's fair, but uh, but it's funny that you mentioned that. But I, I mean, I, I get that. Yeah, your character isn't doing any type of gestures unless the game is programmed that your character can dance or like wave or something. But otherwise, like you have to manually either give that command for that to happen, in which means you're kind of working through that process altogether. Or yeah, it is seen as funny as like, oh, this random character is like waving at me. That's kind of out of the ordinary. So yeah, I think you're right. It does kind of add an interesting element where you can essentially do no wrong with the actions of your character. Basically, it's kind of fun. That's why I like games. (laughs) And Matt was definitely a uh, victim of my plot when it came to social gamification. (laughs) That's true. I always used to wave at her and then I would dance for her. So yeah, his little character. Let's make that clear. (laughs) Video game character would. Yeah, I actually used that as a process to growing up as I was older and getting into the dating world. I had a really hard time trying to understand the cues from the person that I was interested in to see like, are they interested in me? Are they not interested in me? I can't really tell because I'm horrible at reading social cues. And video games gave me a way to be able to assess that because, again, it's a lot easier to read those cues pulled out that bird's eye view. And so with Matt, I pulled him into, what was it, Star Wars video game, right? It's it's always Star Wars. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. It was like Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. It was like an MMORPG, I think. Yeah, I think so. And it was us online with our characters. And so I was able to see how he was using his character and how his character would engage with my character. That helped me assess who he was as a person in real life, because whether or not you mean to, a lot of who you are as a person gets into your video game character most of the time, unless you're intentionally trying to troll. But then in real life, you're probably also a troll. (laughs) So it probably evens out. Yeah. So that was actually really helpful for me because I was able to get more comfortable getting to know him through this cartoon before we met in person. That helped us form a relationship, like a social relationship that made it more comfortable for me as an autistic person to then better engage when we actually were able to meet like face to face and have those conversations. So what sorts of things were key factors for the gaming process that you noticed? 
Key factors for the gaming process or key factors to be eligible to date this one? <laughs> well, well what, what did you notice in the game that translated into reality? Was there something that you noticed in the game and you're like, oh, that's a good quality versus like, oh, that's a bad quality? Yeah. Well, okay. So like, for example, the video game, I could assess how well your game character would take care of my game character. So I could tell from like a third person perspective, like, oh, his character is making stuff for my character. That's sweet. So I was able to like process from that. Okay. So that he's probably a caring person too. But if I'm having just a social conversation with you and you're telling me things, it's hard for me to know what is real. What is some underlying hidden gray message that I'm not getting? What is like a double meaning? And so through the video game process, you're able to just like strip all of that away. And that made it a lot easier for me. And I think for a lot of kids who struggle with social anxiety, for example, our last episode was focused a lot on social anxiety. For those kids, it's not easy to go up to somebody and talk to them and have a conversation about how you're feeling or what your interests are. But when you go in this like video game world, it puts up this protection that makes you feel more confident and able to have those conversations. So it tends to open up a door for autistic kids who might struggle with that in real life, but might actually thrive in like a video game world. I just wanted to make sure that you had the best lightsaber for battle that you could. Don't make me make I jokes. This is I a family-friendly <laughs> podcast, I, I Matthew. Just, I didn't want you to get hurt, so I just had to protect you. I thought it was <laughs> going to be where you're saying, like, he makes mostly good choices as a like Jedi, but sometimes he blurs the line, so he's kind of a bad boy, too. So it's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> you're so weird. That so did not um, cross my mind. I was more like, how much stuff does he give me? I need to know what I'm Does he be give making. me money? Does yeah. he give yeah. me gold? Yeah. <laughs> a virtual mm. gold digger. <laughs> no. No, that was not I'm true. Sure, that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a weird place to find them, but I basically am just putting out this concept of social gamification because if you have a kid who is struggling with these peer-to-peer -peer interactions, maybe they're having a hard time making friends. Maybe they're having a hard time opening up to people. People. Video games is a good way to practice those skills. And it's even helpful, particularly for like the nonverbal kids, because most video games have a chat function that is like written text chat. So they don't necessarily have to rely on voice chat. They can also text chat communicate. For those kids who might have selective mutism or things like that that make it difficult, then they have that alternative as well. That's how I improved my typing. I used to be super slow, kind of like the peck typing, like a, the bird. The chicken pecker. But then I played like a uh, an online game where it was only communication through the text. So it like forced you to text and have to keep quick because if you're going back and forth communicating with someone, you have to be kind of quick on the keyboard. So that kind of improved my keyboard skills a little bit. I'm not great, but I'm better than I was. So there's like a added benefit if it is like a text type of game that's well. true i actually learned how to type with a mario typing game that doesn't exist anymore there you go <laughs> <laughs> are there any particular games that you have heard of that are kind of popular within this space so i think that you could apply this sort of skill to basically any video games if your child struggles with these sorts of things and they just want to chill in a chill environment pick up one of their favorite video games and again this could be age appropriate so whatever developmental level they're at get a game that matches that Always pay attention to supervision because online gamers can be tough on kids and there can be really inappropriate stuff. So you got to make sure that you're keeping an 
an eye on that and supervising, but it could actually be quite beneficial if you create your own private server, for example. So any of those games would work as long as you're using it as a way to proactively probe with your child, like, oh, what should your character do here? How do you think that character's feeling? You could even do it in single player role playing games like Fable, for example, where you have to make moral decisions. Those are good games to do that with because you can practice with your autistic child like, okay, this is a situation that's happening. What would be the consequences if you made this decision? What about that one? How do you think that would make this person feel? Because in video games, a lot of times what happens, especially in RPGs, role playing games, is that the character that you basically are dismissive of or rude of, they program it so that character then dislikes you or you basically rough up that relationship. Kind of like in The Sims, where like if you don't nourish that relationship, there's a consequence to that. So that helps in these video games because there are consequences to your actions. And if your kid needs something that's a little more straightforward, let's say that they really are struggling on like the social emotional learning aspect, and they're at that age, like 10 to 15, you can actually use a game that's specifically made for social emotional learning with autistic kids and neurodivergent individuals. I actually ran into a cool game called Social Cipher. I'm going to see if I could screen share this for those of you watching the video podcast. For those of you on the audio podcast, you'll have to check out the video if you want to see it. But the website is socialciphergame.com. Cipher is C-I-P-H-E-R. And this game is called Social Cipher because you're basically trying to decipher or figure out social situations. The goal of this game is to help autistic kids and other neurodivergent kids figure out and learn how to respond or communicate in social interactions appropriately. They do it in like little quests, just like you would with like a role playing game. There's curriculum that is included to help drive conversations outside of the game with parents or schools. But basically what you have is you have a main character. I believe her name is Ava. And they basically work on different social skills. So like social awareness, your character needs to be able to consider and respect other characters values because that will influence whether the other character is going to help your character in the game or not. So they have to be cognizant of how they're interacting with people because there's real consequences to the success of the game. It'll also influence the behaviors and thoughts of other characters. And then there's also portions of it where they're learning their own self-awareness. For example, if your character has a level of fortitude, depending on how high or low that is, it'll determine whether or not your character needs to find a safe space to recover before going into kind of a meltdown mode. So it's teaching your kid to practice what it's like to basically get into a social situation, potentially get socially overwhelmed or say or do the wrong thing in a safe space where they can then learn to correct that or see what alternative opportunities there are so that they can then use those skills in real life. So again, that's socialciphergame.com. We're not affiliated with them at all. I just think it's a cool game. Yeah, it seems like something kind of a little bit different. It seems like it would definitely be like a beneficial game if you're trying to navigate social situations. I mean, I think there are a bunch of other games that touch on that, but that's not, again, the main focus. So it seems like this one is kind of geared more towards that social element as where other games, there's objective that you're trying to go for. So you might not necessarily get the same quality of social interactions because that's not necessarily what it's meant for, but definitely interesting. You can also create a uh, safe space for them to play. 
that's what's unique about this game is that it basically is kind of like this sandbox where your kid does have this like social safe space. And in that social safe space, there's no real world consequence, but there are in-game consequences. And it's kind of at your child's control. It's really great to help them work on that skill while still feeling safe, comfortable, and not anxious. <laughs> but speaking of safe spaces, one of the things that you can do to create a safe space at home that we do ourselves is create nice little sensory nook whenever our kid is getting socially anxious. So if we have people coming over, we have a nice little safe space with some galaxy projector lights in there and it helps them calm down before they have a reboost to let them go back out in the social world. I'm just going to let you guys hear a little bit more about that. Do you want to know how to create the perfect sensory space? It's the Galaxy Projector 2 from Galaxy Lamps. You can put this lamp in a bedroom for better sleep or create a sensory nook as a getaway when overstimulated. The Galaxy Lamp projects relaxing galaxies and lets you feel immersed in space. It comes with an app where you can change colors, brightness, rotation speeds, and even set automatic on-off timers. Help yourself or a loved one achieve a sense of physical and mental relaxation for a soothing sensory effect. Check out the link in the description box below. That is the Galaxy Projector 2.0, and the bonus to that is if you do create a gaming nook for your kid, a lot of gamers actually use it to set up like a cool little gaming corner, so that's a little added bonus. <laughs> Both our kids would probably love it, uh, our oldest in particular, mostly because she's totally into space and colors and all that, so nice, calming, probably get a little bit of peaceful music, and that would be a perfect safe space and sensory nook for her as well. So, But I mean, we talked a little bit for kind of the older kids as far as like video games and kind of the social component. Our girls are still very young, not really at the threshold for actual gaming, but I feel like they're still able to utilize the idea of gamification. Like you just have to be creative and think of a new way to get that incorporated into life. So for example, both our kids are really into Mario Kart. They'll run around the house thinking that they're racing and they have their favorite characters. And honestly, <laughs> they love watching mom and dad play it if we ever get a chance. Very, very rarely. But I mean, they love watching it on YouTube. But the good news is that can also be used for like everyday kind of things. So like our oldest has uh, physical therapy and occupational therapy. And we told the therapist, oh, she's really into Mario Kart. She loves racing, all this. So they found a way to kind of incorporate like, oh, okay, we're going to set up an obstacle course, but we're going to set it up as Mario Kart. So she's going to to pretend that she's racing and she'll have to kind of go over obstacles under she'll have to go on like a little balance beam like she's racing so they're able to get her excited to do physical therapy go up the stairs down the slide they set up an environment that she's excited because she thinks that she's a little racer in mario kart and she's more willing to do physical therapy occupational therapy and I mean, it, it works the same way with Blue's Clues. She loves Blue's Clues. So they get those little paw prints. They kind of stick them around. They have her do different activities. And she's thrilled thinking that she's having a great time, but she's also working and doing therapy at the same time. So there's that added benefit that while she's having a great time, she's actually learning skills and getting stronger, building core strength. That's not what she's even paying attention to. So it's kind of like a hidden bonus of sorts. But I mean, there's tons of other ways to be creative and gamify education or therapies as best you can, just so the kids aren't thinking of it as work. They're thinking of it as, oh, cool, I get to go here and play and do this. So that's kind of how we live our lives. And the kids seem to enjoy it. I mean, overall. <laughs> And there are actually, I've seen some of these on Amazon. There's actually a bunch of social skills board games. They range for a bunch of different ages. So there's some that are as young as like Candyland, for example. But there are games that are specifically 
helping your child set themselves up for success with social interactions. So there might be cards that will cue a certain social scenario and your kid has to figure out what would the appropriate response be in that social scenario. There's different types of games that test different things, but they're all geared towards social detective work. I think our oldest is working on that actually in speech therapy, where it's like little cards with like pictures and she can kind of think of like, oh, okay, what is happening in this picture? Let me explain what is happening to one of the characters. So, I mean, that's definitely something that she's working towards as far as trying to figure out the emotions of the characters and possibly what they're thinking. But she still sees it as something that's kind of fun and new, trying to figure out what's happening. Our girls are four and three. Even before they were this age, I mean, there were still ways we were able to kind of gamify certain situations. One of the big ones was always with songs. Our girls have always been very musical and they love singing and dancing. So we would just kind of incorporate, okay, we're going to go up the stairs to nap time. So we'd create a game or sing a song that would kind of get them excited to climb up the stairs and go to nap time. So, I mean, there's lots of little ways that you can get creative with either songs, games, everything in between to kind of get them where they need to go. Yeah. And if your kid is on the younger age side of this, Super Simple Songs is on YouTube. And it is a channel that has super simple songs. <laughs> like the name. <laughs> right? Um, but what that means is that the songs break down into very basic language. So if you have a pre-verbal kid, a non-verbal kid, or a minimally verbal kid, it's helpful because the songs will say things like open, shut, open, shut, but they will pair that with a visual image of what that means. So they'll show hands opening and shutting, for example. But they have songs that are specifically related to social interactions, too. Like they have songs where they show appropriate social interaction or communication. So they will give the child the scripts like, hi, how are you? My name is this. My name is that. Nice to meet you. And then there's also songs where they do how to play hide and seek. And they show the characters doing the different parts of hide and seek, what each part is, what they're supposed to say. And they do it a variety amount of time so that your kid can, just by watching this, see what the pattern is and see that, oh, everybody takes a turn. Everybody eventually counts. The other people hide. So even something as simple as watching YouTube videos that talk about or express these social interactions, your kid will watch that and absorb it through osmosis. And there's a lot of different things that they cover. I mean, I'm just thinking of like trick-or-treating. Trick-or-treating obviously only occurs like once a year, but they even have like songs of like going trick-or-treating. And so kind of like they sing different songs about trick-or-treating, but they have all sorts of ones. I'm pretty sure there's a few that have like brushing your teeth, eating vegetables, just kind of reinforcing social situations and kind of making it fun. I remember that our girls hadn't had broccoli before they saw the song. And then thankfully they wanted to try it because they saw the characters eating broccoli and saying that they like broccoli. And that's how they ultimately tried broccoli and they seem to like it so far. So yeah, I definitely think it's a great start. I mean, if your young ones are ready for it. When it comes to social gamification, that can mean many things. You could take that quite literally and mean it as a actual physical game. And in my case, video games was that social outlet. That was the way I was able to learn some of these social skills that I kind of lacked. Personally, I feel like video games is probably the best way to go for 
the older autistic kids who might struggle with that face-to-face conversation or might struggle with making friends in school, for example. So video games is perfect because what teenager is not into video games? Every teenager is, whether male, female, whatever it may be, they're all into video games. And so that's a good one for that age range. I think that social cipher, that's like between 10 to 15, I think. So that's kind of like that preteen, tween, a little bit teen age. And then for the younger kids, you could try those board games, but you can also get creative. Matt was talking about earlier how our youngest kid liked Blue's Clues. You can use Blue's Clues paw prints, for example, and create a social investigation. Maybe you're giving them three clues that are all about what is this person feeling? And maybe you put the clues of what happened before, what happened after, what is their facial expression? And those are the three clues that you put it together and you're trying to solve. Okay, what is this person feeling? They're frowning. They fell. This person pointed and laughed. What do you think is happening? And then work them through that process of understanding what is happening in that social situation and then guiding them towards, okay, what do you think should have happened If you were a kid there watching this, what would you do? What would you say? Those sorts of things as well. Yeah, I definitely think if you're able to gamify whatever activity you're working on, I feel like there's a greater chance for success than just kind of the constant repetition, hoping that something will stick or they'll understand the situation. I definitely think if you make a game out of it where it's more exciting to learn versus you're basically forced to learn, they're more likely to latch on, they're able to pick up the material or whatever you're teaching faster. So I would definitely recommend different areas that we've attempted to try and gamify different things. There's been a little bit more success than when we go the other way and kind of do a little bit more the boring traditional way of learning something, it takes a little bit longer for them to try and catch on to what we're actually teaching. Yeah. And honestly, worst case scenario, your kid doesn't learn anything and had a ton of fun. So it's like, really, there's nothing to lose here. I think that they will learn something, whether that's a little bit or a lot is kind of up to the individual kid and where they are in their journey. But I think that any of these methods, they would get something from it, some sort of benefit. With that said, at the end of the day, they're just having fun, right? And at the end of the day, we want our kids to enjoy themselves. We want them to still be kids and not take away those things that typical kids at their age like and enjoy. But why not just add a little bit of a therapeutic or educational element to it without them necessarily knowing it's happening? It's a win-win situation. Exactly. I mean, and this is also for the parents too. This is an easy way to build a bond with your child. If they're interested in some type of gaming element and you're able to incorporate that into reality a little bit, that's an easy way to build a bond where they're excited to play with mom or dad because they're playing my favorite game. They're playing Blue's Clues in real life. It's a pretty simple way to try and find something fun that they will enjoy. And then they'll be even more thrilled that their parents are partaking in whatever the activity is. Yep. So if you're listening to this episode, well, it's wrapping up. So that means you've got time to go and play a game with your kiddo. (laughs) No excuses now, right? We're not holding you back. (laughs) Well said. Uh, All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. This has been the audio from the Embracing Autism podcast live stream series. Please check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at autism wish to catch these shows live. Otherwise, stick around next week for our next episode. This is Embracing Autism.